I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, and we welcome you to this recording. I want to remind you of a quote I closed with last Sunday morning, written by A.W. Tozier. God is God. Because He is God, He is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in His holy will, a will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what He is up to. This is reverence for God, a deep and constant admiration of heart for God. We believe as you read the Word of God with an open mind and readiness to learn and change, this reverence is established inside you. As you continue to learn and grow, there is a zeal for obedience and love for Christ that enriches your life, is useful in your relationships with others, and glorifies the Creator. As Tozier says, we find rest in His will. But I want to ask, are there times when we are troubled by doubt? Well, there are passages in the Bible that speak of doubt. Narratives or stories about people who slipped into that mode of thought, doubting the worth of serving God. In Bible history, there were some who were discouraged and downhearted. They had lost their joy and obviously dealing with doubt, struggling. In the Old Testament, a man named Asaph in the 73rd Psalm, who tells his story, and he says, My feet almost slipped. At one point in his depressed state, he said, I've washed my hands in innocence for nothing. He said, When I tried to understand all this, it was hopeless. Asaph suffered from doubt. That is common in our age and sometimes present, to some extent, in God's people. There are people who've been baptized and displayed the greatest of emotion and joy when they came into the family of God, wanting to learn about discipleship, anxious to connect with other Christians. They grew in faith for a while, acted toward others in many commendable ways. They spoke of others favorably and spoke to others of the gospel they obeyed, active in the local church, but fell into a period of acute doubt, bitterness, neglect of duty. Sometimes people like this drift away and never come back. Sometimes they recover. Sometimes they continue their association with Christians, but half-hearted, not without initial zeal, troubled, a nagging sense of doubt and negativity keeps them from being fully engaged. So today, I want to address the subject of doubt, causes, and responses. I'll do this from the written Word of God. You'll need your Bible. A number of passages will be read. Please know that I will not exhaust this subject in this time period. I will introduce it, and I hope prompt you to good self-examination, and equip you to help others who are suffering with doubt. 
Doubt is that nagging sense that maybe being a Christian isn't authentic or isn't worth it. The doubter is having second thoughts. Maybe something happened or something was said or there was some trend or movement away from faith very gradual over time or some overt sin. The doubter hasn't just stood up and walked off Okay, folks, I'm done with this. I'm going back into the world. No, it is seldom that abrupt. What can we do to help them? And if you see yourself moving around in doubt or in that direction, what can we say about all that? We can begin by considering the causes of doubt. And they vary. There's not just one cause of doubt, though unbelief would be a comprehensive word, but underneath that, there are a number of specific circumstances and causes that could create doubt. Sometimes it is a simple matter of being uninformed, not being conversant about the foundational truth of the gospel. See, there are people who understand they are sinners, and they know Christ is the Savior, and they obey the gospel. Faith, repentance, and baptism, then some follow-through, but they never really become serious Bible readers and Bible students. When confronted or challenged about the faith, they can't really respond. Their knowledge is superficial. 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready to give an answer, but they are not ready. 2 Peter 3.18 says to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, but growth has not been consistently pursued in these people who are uninformed, have no depth. Some doubt is inevitable when a baptized person never really makes a commitment to walk in newness of life and become a Bible reader and a serious student to make the progress that God expects his people to make. To reverse this doubt, to eradicate it, these people I've described need to urgently get their Bibles open and their heads and hearts open to build up their faith and expand their knowledge. If you know that you are sort of on the fringe, not rejecting God altogether, but just wavering, doubting, and not certain about being a zealous Christian, please Get into a good Bible reading program. Get someone to partner with you in Bible reading and prayer. If you detect movement away from the faith, reach deep into your conscience, find whatever incentive is left, and use that to reconnect with God's Word. As Paul wrote in Acts 20.32, I commend you to God and the Word of His grace. Contact me or this church if we can help you with this. A second cause of doubt is being tempted, tried, and now just tired, exhausted. James 1, 2 through 15. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now James speaks of various kinds of trials. It may be persecution, direct temptation to sin, some stressful event, spiritual exhaustion, tragedy, bitterness. Any of these can lead to a loss of joy and doubt. But then what does James do? He gives perspective. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, the testing can create doubt and apostasy if you are weak, but steadfastness if you remain strong. You may observe this, perhaps. Two Christians encounter an almost identical trial in the measure of its severity. One survives faith intact, faith stronger, counts it all joy. The other becomes a weak, grumbling, negative doubter who slowly walks away from the Lord. Right in the middle of this passage, there's a response to doubt. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Tie this in with what we covered in a recent sermon in Galatians 6 and verse 9. Do not be weary in doing good, for we shall reap if we faint not. And remember also Hebrews 10.39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Doubt can come from an uninformed mind. It can also come from trial that leads to exhaustion. If you're in the midst of a trial and you're becoming exhausted, read James chapter 1 for perspective. And if you lack wisdom, ask God. In either of those first two cases, a serious recommitment, systematic Bible reading and study accompanied by prayer can bring relief and firm up your faith. Others who suffer with doubt are hope-deprived. Here's what I mean. The historical facts of the gospel are clear. 
What to do is well understood, but the deficiency was and is in some cases the hope of the gospel. There are Christians wavering with doubt who suffer from a hope deficiency. They are believers in Christ. They know what the Bible says they should do, but they've never really given sufficient attention to the outcome of our faith, the glorious end result. If we are hope-deprived, we are vulnerable and subject to the problem of doubt. Hope, according to Hebrews 6.19, is our sure and steadfast anchor. The context in Hebrews 6, it says, Since it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong consolation to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this sure and steadfast anchor. Listen to me, folks. You may know all about Bible history. You may have memorized many passages. You know how to word a prayer. You can answer the arguments made against Christianity. So why are you in doubt? Why are you now wavering? Maybe you are hope deficient. You haven't spent good time concentrating on the marvelous promises of God and the hope of the gospel. In an earlier passage, get hold of this, we will reap if we do not give up. And I want you to listen now, if you're hope deprived, I want you to listen to 2 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Doubt can be caused by being uninformed. And the answer is, in Paul's words, I commend you to God in the word of His grace, Doubt can be caused by hardship, temptation, and trial, exhaustion. And the answer is, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and realize that trials can produce strength. Doubt can also be a product of being hope-deprived. Go back and read these passages and spend some devotional time and prayer concentrating on the hope of being richly provided for spiritually now and then an entrance into the eternal kingdom. So here's another cause of doubt, being captivated by human wisdom. Are you familiar with the situation in the city and in the church at Corinth? As you read the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, the issue emerges in full color. Listen to some of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verses 18 through 21. Paul said, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. 
As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. You see that? You hear that? Let no one boast in men. In the NIV, no more boasting about human leaders. I'll tell you this, men will let you down and lead you into doubt. Men can lead you astray through charming, articulate speech and deceptive influence. Men can simply be wrong, no matter the motive. They can be wrong in what they write and what they say, even if their personal presence seems admirable. In Corinth and in the church, men were exalted and followed and men were trusted and people were boasting about their favorite men. Paul came to Corinth and said, you've got it all wrong. When Paul came to Corinth, he did not preach himself or ask people to follow him or boast in him. He said, we are servants of Christ. He said, we preach Christ and him crucified. He said, in every church, we teach the ways of Christ. There are people living with doubt and not fully persuaded about the gospel because they're paying more attention to men than to what God has said and what Christ has done. I want to say that again. There are people living with doubt and not fully persuaded about the gospel because they're paying more attention to men than to what God has said and what Christ has done. Now, what is the response? Get your head in the right place. Get your eyes in the right place. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Good people can help you. Faithful Christians are good examples and can encourage you. But our trust must be in God. And our vision must be on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. But here is another cause of doubt. Not the only, but another cause of doubt, being guilty of sin. I am not new to preaching. I've had 50 years to observe. And what I've seen many times is this. A Christian falls into sin. It can be intoxication, adultery, leaves the church, and when confronted, refuses to talk about their sin. Rather, they say the problem is, I'm not sure the Bible is true anymore. They claim their former teachers were just ignorant and led them into a religious group by deception. Some even say, I'm not sure about the existence of God anymore, as if that were the problem. Now, there was no indication of such doubt before, so what was the occasion of the doubt? Which came first? What often comes out is there was faith, but there was a departure from faith, a choice. And then when confronted about that wrong choice, blame is placed on the Bible and their previous teachers. It's a smokescreen. 
concealing the real cause. The real cause of the change was sin. Being guilty of sin. But instead of a confession of sin and return to the Lord, a false defense is put up. That the person has become smarter and now doubts the authenticity of Scripture. What is needed here is humility. Self-honesty. Admission of sin with such conviction there is repentance and a restoration of faith such as is described in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't blame it on the Bible or your previous teachers and dismiss everything about the church and the people in it. Own your sin. There is one word that addresses doubt for the willing heart, and I want to close by talking about that. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Trust in the Lord is the answer to doubt. If you understand what trust is. Trust in the Lord never means you know everything He knows. Trust in the Lord never means that you can explain everything. Trust in the Lord does not mean we always know why something happens. Trust in the Lord doesn't remove all pain or stress, nor give the cause of it. Trust in the Lord doesn't mean you are perfectly happy all the time. Trust in the Lord means you know who God is. With such depth of confidence informed by Scripture, even though you don't know everything, you know Him, and He knows you. We walk by faith and not by sight. We process everything in life, not according to what we see and how we feel and how people react. We process everything knowing who God is, that we perfectly trust Him, and do not lean on our own understanding. And here's a part of that trust. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 5 through 7. God isn't saying because you have perfect knowledge, you can be happy. God is saying, trust me and rely on what I've said you need to do. Pray, obey me, even when the immediate outcome isn't obvious. Know that Christ strengthens you to do what is right. If you don't know why things are happening, just keep obeying me. 
And as a defense against doubt, I like this, written by Paul in Galatians 4, 6 through 9. Written to Christians who were wavering, Paul said, And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. When we are tempted to worry and grow weary, get exhausted, upset, doubtful, negative, remember who God is, what He has promised, what you've committed to, and as Tozier said, God is God. Because He is God, He is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in His holy will a will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Thank you for listening.